0: Welcome, everybody. Podcast number 23 of the He Said, She Said podcast. I know it's been a while. I've had a lot of Bachelor stuff going on, so it just sometimes this podcast gets put on the back burner when I've got to deal with the drama that is happening in Peter's season. So, but we're back, and we're back with a very important episode. Only one caller, but it's about 45 minutes long, and it talks about uh, a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about recently um, on this podcast, which is infertility, miscarriages, and conceiving children, how hard it is, and just the stigma around it. So it's a, it's a lot of good stuff today, and I'm looking forward to you talking about it. But before we get started, I was bringing in our co-host, Ashley Spivey. Ashley, how are you? Hi, Steve. Um, we haven't good spoken- Good to be back. Al- I know. We haven't spoken in a while. You need to- um, we clearly saw it on your Instagram over the weekend. However, did you go down to Miami just for Ashley's <laughs> baby's birthday, or were you down? What, what were you doing down in Miami?
1: Okay, this is what happened. So my birthday is tomorrow. So
0: oh, this by, by
1: next week when? <laughs> yes, by
0: okay. Next we're week recording this, this on November. We'll already passed. Yeah, we're recording this November, November 6th. 6th. Uh, your bar- your- I didn't know your yeah. birthday was tomorrow. Okay, happy birthday.
1: Yes, thank you. My birthday is tomorrow. I'm turning 35. And I was thinking that Steve and I would go away the weekend before as like a birthday trip for me. Because like, I kind of think 35 is a big birthday because you're like, I feel like this is where you're like almost 40. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're no longer in the category like up to 34. Like now you're in 35 to 44. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thought we would go away from my birthday, but he planned this trip to Vegas for one of his friend's birthdays. And so I was just kind of like, instead of being disappointed or having a fight or whatever, I'm just going to book a trip for myself to Miami. So I did that. <laughs>
0: What? But did it coincide? Knowing that um, what's Ashley's baby's what daughter's name? I keep forgetting.
1: Oh, Essie. Yeah. No. Okay. So also, I should just mention that it wasn't like purely like me being like happy, like a like badass solo weekend. I was just kind of like kind of down in a way. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna go to Miami to like recharge. I'm just gonna bring a bunch of books and just like lay by the pool and, like, not talk to anyone. That's going to be wonderful. (laughs) But then Ashley knows me, and she was kind of like, why is she coming down here by herself? I'm going to, like, go see her no matter what. So she texted me, and um, she was like, I'm coming to see you. I'm, like, breaking into your solo weekend. So I got, like, a cabana for us by the pool, and we just, like, talked. I think, like, within the first, like, three minutes she was there, I cried. Um, but we just had, like, a good reconnecting session. And then she told me Essie's birthday was the next day. And she was like, but you totally don't have to come. Like, I know that was, would be annoying, but I, like, couldn't imagine missing it. So I went and, like, met all of her friends and got to see JP and Ford and Essie. And it was wonderful. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, I just didn't – I had no idea. Uh, I just saw the videos and I'm like, oh, Ashley's down in um, Miami but i don't see steve anywhere <laughs> and then it and then i think you did say on one of your stories that well it it goes into actually what we were talk we we end up talking about in today's call um right your ovulation chart or your ovulation numbers were very high this weekend and right and your husband wasn't around he was in Vegas. Well and
1: so that's something that we kind of figured out is that when he was going to Vegas and I decided I was going to Miami, I looked at my ovulation chart and I was like, Oh shit. Like it's very close to like when I'm going to have high fertility, but I also didn't want to have him change his plans to come to Miami and then it not happen and then be that type of wife. (laughs) So I was just like, let's just do what we can before the trip and we'll do what we can after. And I don't that's the thing is like it just sucks like these are the things that happen that you don't think of like when you're thinking about getting pregnant before like it's a lot of like scheduling and like oh just like unsexy behavior (laughs) (laughs) I don't know
0: yeah no I hear you I mean that's it's fun to talk about. Well, not fun, but I mean, you'll hear about <laughs> it. You'll hear about it on today's podcast. Uh exactly, yeah. you know. Um but yeah, like I said, it's been it's been a while since we've done this, but uh you know, we'll have another episode or two before the end of the calendar year and then we'll come back strong in January and uh and you know, try and stay on track with an episode every every other Tuesday. So, but anyway, let's uh let's get started. Our caller today actually Jessica in Texas actually is a repeat caller our first repeat caller we've ever had uh with a completely different issue i don't even know if you'll remember her first call from it was like episode two or three i certainly didn't remember it um but she gives us an update on that and then gets into her infertility issues so uh, let's get started with uh, episode number 23 all right let's bring in our caller her name is jessica she is in texas jessica thanks for joining us
1: hi guys hi
0: jessica it's good to talk to you again yes um jessica you were a caller way back Mm -hmm. many moons ago to the he said she said podcast i believe in episode two or three uh can you tell us refresh our memories well mine mostly ashley seems to remember um (laughs) refresh my memory on what your situation was back then and just kind of give us an update on what's happened since
2: Well, at the time I had a friend who I was kind of going on the outs with and um, I just felt like she wasn't fighting fair with me and just kind of taking those low blows because we weren't getting along at the time. And um, she at some point said that I was promiscuous. She was friends with guys that were total F boys. Like one of the guys had grabbed me by my ponytail and thrown me to the ground and she was still friends with him. And I was just like, I did like it. I just didn't understand why you'd want to be friends with somebody like that. And uh, it hurt my feelings that she like accused me of lying about these things because she thought I was lying about something else. And yeah, it was just kind of a rough relationship. So now um, I would say we're still friends, but we're definitely not best friends. Since then, I think we've gotten together one time. We went out to lunch to kind of clear the air. Um, we still text occasionally. And by occasionally, I mean like once every couple months, but for the most part, um, I think we just kind of both realized we were different people with different um, values and just like we weren't as compatible as friends as we originally thought.
0: Mm. Okay. So. Honestly. But we're on good
2: terms. We're just not best friends anymore.
0: Okay. I think with me, with so many shows and, um, you know, talking to the, to, to the callers of this show for the first time when we record, it's just very t- I remember certain things about certain calls but names and what their story was I could I'll probably go over 23 episodes like I don't I remember stories <laughs> I don't remember the names because you know as we've told our listeners you know probably half the names of the callers that we do we we make up anyway because they don't want their real name out there um so it's always tough to remember who said what and what the situation was but hey I'm glad that uh did Ashley and I help at least did we? Did we help? Yeah, it's it
2: really good advice, and I think a lot of it was just kind of uh, helpful, just to say it out loud and process it, and have an unbiased opinion. Well,
0: that's good. Good to
2: know. From
1: what I can remember, I feel like y'all were kind of like on a natural evolution for it to kind of phase out, anyway.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, you're back again. <laughs> Here we are. 20 episodes later or so, and uh, you have uh, something you obviously want to talk about. So why don't you just get started and fill us in, and um, and we'll kind of go from there.
2: Yeah. So my husband and I have been married this April will be four years, and for the last two years, we've been trying to get pregnant very unsuccessfully. So we've been going through this infertility journey, um, and it's been really hard. But when I saw Ashley post about her miscarriage, my heart just ached for her because I could only imagine. I don't know her story. I don't know what she's been going through. But I thought, you know, if and when she was ready to talk about that, I would be happy to kind of talk about what I've been through. And maybe girl to girl, we could kind of talk about these struggles that a lot of women go through trying to create their family.
0: Yeah, um, you know. There was a while there where Ashley and I didn't do shows. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with... I mean, I had asked Ashley, you know, when you're ready to talk about it, I'm fine. Um, and we've done shows where we haven't addressed, you know, what happened with you, Ashley. But um, I know that, you know, I had sent this caller to you and said, hey, do you want to talk about it? And you said, yeah. So, um, by all means, you guys can have a discussion here. I can. I'll chime in when I feel I need to, but this is more for you guys, so... Uh, go ahead. I will uh, sit back and listen and learn.
2: So I guess, Ashley, I don't know if you and your husband been trying for a long time.
1: Yeah. So uh, we have only really been trying since April, but I think why Ours has been such a kind of frustrating journey is because um I had a copper IUD for years, you know, since right. 2012 basically. And um I then took out my IUD because my best friend got pregnant and we always wanted to be pregnant at the same time. Yeah. So I took out my IUD. I got pregnant the next day. No way. Yes. Yeah. And so it was super easy. Um, I mean, you just don't hear of that happening a lot. The next day is really
2: shocking. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And then so, um, you know, when we went to our first doctor's appointment, it was so early that they told us, they were like, really don't get your hopes up, but come in two weeks later, we'll see like what's going on. And then, um, when we went in the second time, they started to see, you know, the, the fetal pull pulsing thing. So it's not technically a heartbeat yet, but they can see that activity fetal pull activity. And then, um, then we started like getting excited. And then we brought my sister to the next appointment. And then that's whenever they found that it hadn't grown. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, you know, we, we had to wait a while after that, even to start trying again. Um, but my period was pretty regular after, and we've been trying one month. I didn't ovulate at all. So obviously nothing can really happen at that point. Mine is, um, a little complicated by my thyroid condition, but I have great doctors up here. Um, I have my regular OBGYN, but then I also work with a doctor from something called Parsley Health, which is um, functional medicine doctors and things like that. But we really monitor my blood work very carefully to make sure everything is okay. Um, But we're kind of at the point where she was telling me we had until November to not stress about it. And now we're going to If nothing happens this month, we're going to start kind of taking it more seriously. I think that this is one thing I've always wanted to be very open about what happened with us because I think that people don't talk about it enough. But one thing I will say is that being in a public position and talking about it, one thing that I think can be kind of frustrating is that people will bombard you with opinions and advice and things mm-hmm. like that. And not that I don't like yeah, it. you're not famous. Yeah, no, no, I, I can't even imagine. Like, yeah. I think that I, my friends and my family like know me enough to know that, like, that's the opposite of what you should do with me. But, and I know it comes from a good place. I know that people aren't trying to stress me out, but I think whenever people are like, don't stress, it'll just happen. Like I immediately get stressed.
2: (laughs) I want to punch every person who says that to me in the face.
1: Yes. So, and I think it comes from a place where if people have had trouble, they just want to share what worked for them. But like I said, I, I have a bunch of great doctors and stuff like that. And so I really want to kind of do that before I start, I don't know, go, go in the route of like taking everyone else's situation into consideration.
2: Yeah. But it's I, so hard because everybody is so different and you're like, you know, yeah. let me work through my path first. Right. Yeah. If I want your advice. I'll come ask you about it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, I think, and I mean, we've talked about this on this show before, and it's funny because, like, this is an advice show in a way. But I think that one thing everyone could just work on is just like listening to people and not always like wanting to throw in your advice. I think if I can. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I
2: struggle with that too so much, but I tr- like, I'm trying to work on that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think just people will tell you when they want advice or you'll be able to tell when they really want it. But I, it's just so funny to me how much people kind of are always looking to like inject their story into when someone is like being open and vulnerable about something. And I think just like as a society, we could just step back and
2: like just listen to people more. It would be nice. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's still, so, like, right. I, my heart hurt for you when you had your miscarriage. I know that sucks. And it happens. I think what they say, one in four women, or one in four pregnancies ends in a miscarriage. It's so common. Yeah. It doesn't make I, it easy.
1: For sure. And I think, too, as a nanny in New York, I see um, a lot of a lot of people who I've worked for, you know, have kids at later ages. And so I know the statistics and I know that getting pregnant really isn't as easy as like, kind of like happened to us. So like when that happened, I mean, I'm telling like on our first appointment, when we saw like what, what was going on there, we were just kind of like, Hmm, it can't be that easy. Right. Like something's going to go wrong. So I just, I don't know. I'm trying to be like realistic about it and keep my expectations like measured.
2: Until someone tells you to be positive, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> then suddenly your mind just shifts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ugh. Yeah. So our my story is a bit different. I've never been pregnant. I've never had a miscarriage. I've never had a chemical pregnancy. I've never had anything like that. Um. We started trying, but before we started trying, I've always had like a thought that I might not be very fertile uh, or that I might struggle because I've, my aunt had endometriosis and I've always had exceptionally painful periods. So um, my doctors always said you could have endo, but endometriosis is really, really hard to detect without doing surgery it's almost impossible to see if you even have it until they cut you open. Which obviously if you're able to manage that pain with birth control or aspirin, any ibuprofen, anything like that, then they're not going to cut you open. So I didn't know for sure if I had it. um, But we finally went off birth control because I was on it for like a decade, if not longer, because I just could not stand my periods without it. They were so bad. So I got off of the birth control and the periods of course were terrible um, Steve, I don't How much do you know
0: about endometriosis? Um, very little. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 know it's, um, it has to do with your insides. Um, but that's, that's about it. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't say I know about it. I can't say I know anyone who personally who has it. I think I know people like in inner circles that I've heard have it, but Yeah, I don't don't know what it really consists of.
2: Well, so what it is, is your uterus is kind of like, I like to think of it as like a little pocket of muscle, right? It's the tissue inside of your uterus is called, um, it's endometrium. When that tissue grows outside of your uterus, it's endometriosis. So I have endometriosis. Um, I found that out last July when I had surgery. So I have like lesions. They look like blood blisters and they grow all over the inside of my pelvis. Outside of my uterus, And that's endometriosis.
0: What can cause it? And I think. Like is, is or is it not prevent? Like if it's like hereditary or something that can something cause you to get endometriosis? Endometriosis. Yeah.
2: So there's a couple theories out there. One is that it's just genetic because um, they do see a bit of a genetic lineage across this, like it's just how your genes are. Um, some of the theories is that as you have your period, naturally your tissue will flow out of your fallopian tubes, not just down your cervix. So as it goes into your pelvis, it can adhere to your pelvic wall and to different parts of your body, and that will start to form the lesions. But they don't really know. Mm. But it affects, I think, 10% of women. Yeah.
1: And the problem with diagnosing it. One is, you know, that you can't find out about it except for surgery. But then also people minimize women's pain so much. And when people do have endometriosis, because they can't experience someone else's period, they just think, oh, mine's particularly bad. Or this is just how it's supposed to be. Like you have painful cramps or like things like that. So there's just been like years of minimizing women's pain in terms right. of periods, that this hasn't been like a widely accepted type of thing for
2: so long. Mm. Right.
0: So, if you have, endo- and I'm actually fairly lucky, if you have endometriosis, yeah. it doesn't mean you can't have children, right?
2: No. In okay. fact, a lot of women have endometriosis and conceive just fine. Okay. But it can also cause infertility. And so when I was first going through this journey, I was like, we were trying for about six months and we weren't having any luck. And I was just like, I knew like in the back of my head, I was like, I need to get this endometriosis checked out. So I went to a doctor and I talked to her and I said, you know, I think I have endo. We're trying to get pregnant. I would like to look into this. And she goes, well, we don't do this here. And I said, well, it's on your website that you treat endometriosis. She's like, yeah, well, I can't. I, I don't know. We don't do that here. So I asked her like, well... Can you tell me where to go? Like, this is a gynecology office. And she was like, no, like, I mean, I guess I could send you over to some fertility doctors. And I expressed to her that my insurance only covers fertility if you've been trying for a year. We haven't been trying for a year. I'm not trying to see a fertility doctor. I'm trying to see a gynecologist about my period cramps. And I want to talk to somebody about endometriosis. And she's like, well, I don't know where to send you. I don't know how to help you. What do you want from me? So that was so incredibly discouraging that I just kind of gave up on it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess like, I thought you could just go get surgery, but I don't even know who to ask to get the surgery. I went to a gynecology's office. I don't know where to go from there. If a gynecology office can't direct me in the right direction, like who could? So I kind of like tabled it for the minute and I was like, well, I guess I'll just start doing the ovulation predictor kits and track my cycle really well and make sure. And so I did that. And after a year of trying, I went to a fertility specialist and, got all the testing done and they're like, yeah, you look great. We can't see why you're not having kids. My, uh, I'm only 30 years old, but I do have lower hormone levels. So I don't have a lot of eggs left, but she's like, honestly, that's only one predictor. Your age is the best predictor. So like, again, at that point it was unexplained infertility. So we decided to move forward to do an IUI, which is is this before you had the surgery. This is all before I had surgery. Yeah. Okay. So I went on to get an artificial insemination. They basically, they start, you on a set of drugs for five days to make you ovulate a lot. I had two follicles, one on each ovary, and then they give you a shot of HCG, which makes you um, just ovulate at a very specific time. And then they go in and they put a catheter in your cervix and block it off and shove the semen be thingy into your cervix, into your uterus, and squirt his little bad boys in there. And in theory, you could get pregnant. Hmm.
1: What, do you know the success rates for an IUI?
2: I think for someone with, they say, I think that's like 30% over the course of three tries. Yeah. I think. I'm not 100% certain, but it really depends on your, the reason you're having infertility issues. But while I was going through all this, I mean, for one, my anxiety and depression had skyrocketed through the roof. For oh, uh, sure. And then I just, every little ache or pain I had, I thought I was having an ectopic pregnancy. Because with anybody who has infertility, anybody who has endometriosis, your likelihood of having an ectopic pregnancy is significantly higher. So I was constantly scared that, like, even if I got pregnant, it wasn't going to be in the right place and that it was going to, kill, like, her It could kill me. It could make me bleed out and like just so concerned about that. So at that point I decided to take a step back and um, look more into this endometriosis. And that's when I found a Facebook group called Nancy's Nook, which is a nurse who has endometriosis, who has this Facebook group that is only full of literary articles about endometriosis. And she has um, a list of surgeons that have really good outcomes who are using the best known technology for endometriosis. So I found a surgeon on that list and I got an appointment and two months later I was able to get my surgery. And so in the meantime, I just kind of took a break because fertility is exhausting. Um, I mean, my depression had gotten so bad. I mean, I had a, I think I quadrupled my antidepressant dose. I was having anxiety attacks almost daily. It was just like, I just needed that break. And after that break, I've been so much stronger and better. And I think it was like, Probably the best decision I ever made. For sure. So the surgery, um, they did it robotically. They did like a laparoscopic sort of surgery. They like cut me open. And then when they went inside, they found that I had stage three endometriosis. So they typically have four stages. Sometimes you'll hear about a fifth stage. Um, So that just kind of means you have a lot of lesions. I think I had like 14 or 15 lesions. With scar tissue. And so they told me they had to basically scrape the entire inside of my pelvis off. So my pelvic wall, it was on my ligaments. It was on my uterus. It was on in my cul-de-sacs. So it was all over the inside of my body. <laughs> hmm. And that was actually not a bad case. Because some people will have to have bowel extractions or bowel. I forgot what that's called. Where they like take out part of your bowel and they sewed so, back together. Because endometriosis can adhere to your colon and grow into your colon and call an ob- cause an obstruction. It can grow wow. in your bladder, um, your liver. It can grow in your gallbladder. They had actually told me that they were going to prepare me for an appendectomy just in case. Um, so, yeah, it, like I think that when people hear endometriosis, like, oh, yeah, you have slightly p- painful periods. Like, it can cause your entire uterus to adhere to the pelvic wall. So as it moves and grows during your... Cycle, it can like it feels like it's tearing, like it doesn't feel good.
0: When when was your surgery? In July, okay, five months ago. And you felt so, and a lot I'm, better since then.
2: I didn't for a while. Actually, these last two periods, finally, I was actually this last period, I went the entire one without even a single ibuprofen, hmm. which is shocking to me because before this, I would wake up in the middle of the night just bawling for hours at a time, like. It causes uh, what we call period diarrhea, menstrual diarrhea. It Mm -hmm. causes, it like would make me feel like I had to push. So I would just like sit on a toilet for hours just like trying to push.
1: Don't you think think that's so crazy though that like more doctors weren't pushing you to like
2: check out this surgery? Well my main doctor, she asked me about and she said, you know, it could cause infertility. Maybe you should look into this. And I told her, you know, I know what it is. I'm sure that's what it is, but I'm not interested in getting surgery at this time. Because going through that surgery, I mean, it's pretty massive. My recovery was two weeks. I spent an entire week home, stuck on a couch, where my husband had to miss multiple days because I couldn't sit up by myself. I couldn't get out of bed by myself. I mean, that's not something I voluntarily wanted to do until I was really sure it was going to help me. Because my idea was if I could get pregnant, I wouldn't be in pain through the pregnancy for this specifically. And then once I was done being pregnant, I would just go right back on birth control. And yeah. I, but I didn't, once I realized getting pregnant was going to be difficult, I just kept telling my husband, I can't do years of these periods. Right. I can't live through this pain consistently like this. Yeah. It's too much. So, what so, is the
1: like, uterus recovery process
2: after? Uh, uh, Someone said it takes eight months to a year. She told me about eight months. To like fully recover but your most fertile time is the first six months after the surgery because endometriosis can come back yeah so that's the other reason it's like well i can get the surgery but it's i think a 50 percent re- chance of reoccurrence within the first two to five years so you're like okay so i might have some alleviation for a couple years and then what yeah it could come right back and then you have to go through the whole surgery again and that surgery sucked right um, it was really, really hard. So after we decided to do the surgery, we were still doing IUIs. Um, and we, I'm on my third cycle now, my third post-surgery, fourth total. And I think after this, we're going to have to move to IVF. I mean, I switched jobs at my current company to, to help with this. My husband left our company and went to another company just to get fertility coverage. Um, I've definitely had some friendships get strengthened, other ones not so much. Um, But now I think we're in a really good place. But, uh, yeah, like, I think going through all of that has been super hard. And I think a a lot of people, I think when they're like, oh, you know, you just keep trying. Just have more sex. Like, they don't realize all of this that's going behind it. Like, just have more sex is easy for you to say. You're not the one who has painful intercourse. You're not the one right. who's like, oh, just keep trying. Eventually it'll happen. You're not the one who's up for four hours in the middle of the night screaming because your periods are killing you right. in pain. Like, So I think like those comments were just so hard. And I mean, I was getting it from my brother and my sister-in-law, and it's like, I get it. You guys could just have sex and have a baby, but that's just not the case for everyone.
1: <laughs> right. I think also it's important to stress that, like, when you're having sex, for this reason, it's not fun. It's like scheduling sex is not a romantic or sexy thing. It's like, Hey, like, should we do it now? And then there's pressure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I will say though, my husband and I have been really great. I think there's only been like two or three times where it felt like a prescription, you know? Yeah. Like it was homework for the most part. We do a pretty good job of like keeping it romantic and exciting. It's like, I'm just like, Hey honey, by the way, This day and this day, we got to have sex. And that's at the end of it. We come home, we do our thing, and it's great. Yeah. It's not any different. Well, I mean,
1: maybe this is, like, too much information or whatever. Probably Steve will hate that I'm telling this story. But I was just in Miami, you know, and I had, like, my highest fertility day the last day I was in Miami. And so we would be able to see each other and have sex normally except for when I was, coming home the next day i had to work that night and like by the time i get off work it's like 11 and so we wouldn't normally yeah. see each other so i'm like hey can you like work from home so in that hour before i have to go to work we can like have sex, have sex. <laughs> yep yes so that's the thing it's just like that
2: that type of thing like sucks <laughs> like we're oh like, got to do it now <laughs> So it was my husband's first week of work at his new job and we had to do an IUI. So I needed his, I needed his sperm. And he was like, I'm not, but Mike, I can't but bring the sperm into the office until 730. He has to leave for work at six. And from the time he goes in the little cup at home, I am supposed to get it to the doctors within that hour. So there's this big time. I'm like, okay, hey, so there's an hour and a half between the earliest I can get them there when you need to leave for work. And like, I call it the white the white bag society, because every person <laughs> in there with a white bag, you know what's in that bag. <laughs> yeah. So like, not only it's like, okay, like you're not allowed to use lube. So you have to get him off into this little cup and then like put it in the bag, date it. And then you go in like into the doctor's office and like have to hand it to this lady. Like talk about romance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I it's like so crazy. awkward and you can do it in the office, but like, Honestly, I think he's much more comfortable just doing all that at home. Yeah, that's even more awkward.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: It's like, yeah. And, like, we're really lucky that we don't have – because some people, they struggle on both sides. For us, my husband's got super sperm. I mean, like, they say you need, like, 12 million healthy sperm. He's got, like, 130 million wow. healthy sperm. I'm like, And they're, like, 98% mortality. And I'm just like, damn, honey. Well, clearly you're not the issue.
1: <laughs> he's like sperm king
2: <laughs> right <laughs> his sperm are through the roof and so yeah and it's kind of so with endometriosis one of the theories is that all the swelling that goes on inside of your pelvis it squeezes your fallopian tubes and it kills off the cilia that would normally be used to push your eggs from your ovaries into your uterus and so that's one of the reasons that, like there's no way to really see that I didn't have any endometriosis on my ovaries or on my fallopian tubes, but they still don't have any way to know if my fallopian tubes are damaged. They're not blocked because they've checked that twice. There's so because part of the screening when you go through infertility is they block off your cervix and flush your uterus with dye. And then they take an x-ray to see if the dye made it through your fallopian tubes into your pelvis. And then when I had surgery, they did the same thing, but they were, they had me open so they could just see the dye flowing out of my fallopian tubes so knowing that both of those are open is good, but that doesn't mean they're functioning. Right. So that's one of the tests they do. You know, they test your progesterone. They test all of your hormone levels. They check um, to make sure you're ovulating normally. I don't have any cysts. I don't have any fibroids. I don't have anything like that. Um, I always seem to ovulate. My 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 cycle is exceptionally regular. I've never missed a period, never missed an ovulation. So that's all good, but it also is like, well, there's nothing – obviously wrong with me that explains why we're struggling so much to get pregnant i'm a healthy bmi i don't smoke i actually recently gave up drinking altogether which was the hardest thing ever because i love a glass of wine with dinner (laughs) love but i you know i could give up beer and spirits all day but man when i see a glass of red wine like i drool yeah
0: Mm. oh so, I'm going to sound either really smart or really dumb here. Okay. IUI versus IVF. Isn't yes. IVF done outside the body and then inserted into the woman? Like, Petri dish style? Isn't yes. That IUI? So, yes.
2: Yes. You got <laughs> it. Point for so Steve. I, yeah.
0: Yay. I knew something. Um, Which...
2: That seems to be the only part people know about the IVF, that, and, like, there's a bunch of injections, but I was recently looking into this because that's our next step, but you actually go on, like, a birth control or, like, a hormone suppression for three to six weeks. Some doctors only do one to four weeks. It just depends on the doctor and their special chemical concoction, but they basically suppress everything for a while, and then they do all the injections, and you have to go in every other day for blood work and an ultrasound for about two weeks until they decide you're ready, and then they knock you out and to go in and extract those fol- those eggs out of your follicles. So they they're trying to make your ovaries each produce as many follicles as possible. So they could get 30, 40 eggs when normally you only produce one. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so
1: And I, they have to like monitor because your ovaries can burst. Oh. Because they're overstimulating them so much.
0: So IUI is his sperm, but you don't have to do your eggs, taking your eggs outside of your body. It's just his sperm being injected into you. No. Just not through. So they
2: medically, in, like, they they do medically stimulate your ovaries. They can do it with injections or oral medications. I respond really well to the meds, so I've only done orals. But they're just trying to get two, at most three follicles. If you have too many follicles, they'll cancel the cycle because you're at too high risk for multiples. Because the goal is always one healthy baby, not optimum. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard about that, but the mom who had eight babies via IVF. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, terrifying. I,
0: I know someone. <laughs> I know someone who was IVF, and you know, I know this isn't for everybody, but they've had. Um, and I know IVFs are done in you know, tries. You get like three tries, and you don't get your money back if it doesn't go through. They got three children all on their first try. I mean, good for them. Yeah. Um, it's not, but that's. I know that's not normal at all. That's No, three different times. They oh, okay. did IVF. They got, they, it, okay. it, it took on the first try. They didn't have to, they didn't have a failure and then say, okay, try number two. But yeah, they had three kids. Um, right. You know, every other year for three years, uh, and they, and using IVF and got it on the, uh, on the first try.
2: Yeah. And I'm no doctor by no means. So like, this is only my understanding from everything that I've learned. So I may not always be a hundred percent accurate, But my understanding is that once they take those eggs, they mix them with the sperm, however they do that, and then they watch them grow. So you may start out with 30 eggs, but then as they grow into their actual embryos, they may not develop normally. So they're going to slowly start picking them out. So at the end of it, when you actually have viable embryos, you may only have six. Mm -hmm. So they freeze them, and they'll only usually implant one or two at a time, hoping that one or both of them will stick. Yeah. So some people will go through a round of IVF. In fact, my actually, I found this out as we were going through this. My doctor, she went through IVF. She went through six rounds of IUI, two rounds of IVF, and she finally got her son. Um, but the first time they did it, she didn't even respond to the meds, so she didn't get any follicles, so they canceled the cycle. The second time, they only got four eggs. Wow. And that's so devastating when you're going through all of this, and they only get four eggs, and you're like, okay, well, how many of these are actually going to make it to an embryo? And for her, none. None made it. So then she had to go through another round of IVF. And that one, I think she did finally get like six embryos. They implanted two and one took. So she still has four embryos. I think that she's like, okay. Hmm. But she got pregnant a second time, no problem. And you hear about that all the time too. People struggle so much the first time. And then boom, 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 it happens. Or vice versa. Super easy the yeah. first time. And then they have secondary infertility. So it's really interesting to hear about how all this works out. And gosh, it's so crazy. really is. It's not as easy as you think it would be at all. <laughs> no. And I mean, just so when I was first starting to deal with this infertility stuff, I was so an engineer and I work in the field a lot in oil refineries type environments. And I was concerned about all the chemical exposure I was around, even though it wasn't high enough to be, Recordable because we have gas monitors and whatnot, but it's just one of those things you're like, you know, I'm already struggling. And you, how much does science really study how oil refinery chemicals affect fertility in women? Because you're one of four women on site, right? So I decided I wanted to switch into a different career that at my same company, but into a different field that would require me not to be around all that all the time. Um, And so that transition was really hard. And at the time, my boss, my old boss, he was upset because I was trying to give up these projects that I had started and he wanted me to finish them through. And I kept like, he didn't know what I was going through, but I just was, I was insanely depressed. I mean, I was, I hadn't been suicidal since college, but I was like suicidal again. I was just in the dark, like a really dark place and traveling, being away from my husband, being around all these, these things. I was like, I'm just not in a good place. And he didn't know that, but for him to be disappointed in me at work, only compounded the amount of depression I was in, you know, because I felt like I was feeling at work, I was feeling at becoming a mom. I literally was changing my entire career to become a mom and I still wasn't succeeding. I was letting my husband down, I was letting myself down, and I was letting my work people down. Like I just, it was such an emotional roller coaster. And I'm in a way better place now, but I don't think people realize if this is the only thing you've ever wanted in your entire life is to be a mom and you expect it to be easy because you have a uterus. Right? Like, this is your one job. as a, Like, biologically, you have one job. It's to procreate. And when you just can't do it, it really makes you question your identity on so many levels.
1: Well, and so much of that is, like, a societal pressure as well. I mean, as soon as yeah. you get married, it's, like, the number one question people ask you yeah. constantly.
2: Well, and I think that's definitely true. And I think that a lot of people aren't sensitive to that at all. I, I've, I know some people like, so when are you going to have kids? I really don't like that question. I definitely don't ask people I don't know. For my friends, I ask, hey, have you guys talked about starting a family? And I hate that, too, because you and your husband are a family. I ask, like, have you, have <laughs> you guys decided if you want to have kids? Is this something right. you want to do? Because I think it's really dumb for people just to assume everybody wants to have kids. Yeah. It's so, like, obnoxious to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, and then everybody knew, like, I, I've wanted to have a baby since I was four years old. Or as far as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a mom. So this is like my one goal in life, family first, career second. I don't care about, like my number one aspiration has been to be a mom. And I'm an engineer. Like I'm a STEM girl. Like I'm a a liberal, but I still just really want to be a mom. So a lot of people knew this about me. So everyone's asking, so when are you guys going to finally have a kid? And you're like, you have no idea for the last year we've been trying and it's just not working. And I mean, I had a guy on my Facebook page ask me when I post a picture of me, he's like, so when are you going to have some of your own? And you're just kind of like, well, thanks for asking. I'm actually getting surgery pretty soon. Hopefully that helps us do that. <laughs> like, It just becomes really yeah. awkward. Like, how do you answer that question? Because I don't like to lie either.
1: Yeah. I mean, I even think that's something that I I was just talking to my mom about this, where I think it'll be really hard for me if I'm not able to have my own kids, but at the same time, like my job for so long has been taking care of other kids, so if I have to adopt, I think I'll be okay with it, because I love Burley so much, and he's not mine, <laughs> so I figure if I can love him that much, I could love another kid that much. Ashley,
0: so, Ashley, have you guys talked? Have you guys talked about, um, you know, whatever? If you don't get pregnant any times, so have you set a uh, a time where okay, if I'm not pregnant by X amount of time, then we we're going to try different avenues, either adoption or is IVF something that you guys would be interested in, or you guys not, or you don't know, you haven't decided that yet.
1: Um, you know, I have like. I personally have conflicting, like I know that Steve really wants his own child. so I think I would do it a couple of times for him. But at the same at the same time for me, I just know that like I I don't know. I, I just, I feel like there's so many kids out there who need homes, that I almost would rather save our money and put it towards a kid who needs a home. Does that sound weird? (laughs) No,
2: Because. No, and in fact, that's exactly what I used to think, too. In fact, I always said I would never do IVF. I would always just adopt. And I've had people say, well, you can always just adopt. But when we started looking into the adoption stuff, um, it was not at all what I thought it was. Yeah, it was so, so complicated. And for me, like, I don't I know I do not need to be biologically related to a child to love them because my nieces and nephews that have no relation to me are probably my favorite people on this earth. I would jump in front of a bus for them. I would do a lot of things for them that I wouldn't do for a lot of other little kids. But I love those little stink balls. Um, but my husband, it is very important to him that the kids are genetically related to him. And that's also a really hard thing to balance. Yeah. Cause it's my body. I'm the one who has depression. I'm the one who's going to have to go through these hormone swings. I'm the one with hormone acne and bloating five pant sizes. I swear twice a month. Once when I ovulate and once when I have my period, like he's not the one who has to go through all these, do- he's missing 90% of these doctor's appointments. Cause he doesn't need to be there every time they do an ultrasound. Because for the IUIs, they do an ultrasound before they start the meds. They do another ultrasound to make sure that your follicles are the right size before you stimulate. If you might have to come back for another ultrasound after that, and then you have to come in for the actual injection. And there's a blood work in there, and then there's a pregnancy test. So that's six doctor's appointments, potentially, every single. And that's just IUI. Yeah, there's way more doctor's appointments. So I'm the one missing work. I'm the one asking for, sick like, time off. I'm the one making all these sacrifices. So it's kind of – it's like – Am I willing to put myself through this because you want a kid that's biologically related to you? But at the same time, this is our marriage. This is my husband. This is someone I love more than anyone on this planet. I want to make his, his dreams come true. I want him to have a kid that he f- feels is his dream, you know? Right. My dream is to be a mom. I don't care how. His dream is to have a son or to carry on the family name, you know? Right. So that's, that's really hard. And then I kind of talked to Steve about this when we looked into adoption, I, because before I did, went down this infertility journey, I wanted to learn everything I could about adoption because I wanted to know what all of my options were before I just decided I'm just going to go put my body through what I call hormone hell. Um, And I'm not like adopting an infant, not easy. First of all, I think we lost Ashley,
0: Steve. No, she's there.
2: I hear you. Oh, for some reason, I only see one person. Okay. Um, so it's $40,000, thirty-five 000 to $40,000 just to adopt an infant, um, which is rough. And there's a lot of corruption in it. I mean, you hear stories about adoption agencies basically bullying moms into giving up their kids. Uh, and then, or you adopt from the foster system, which as a first-time is just a little intimidating because these kids have a lot of emotional trauma. Not that that makes them unlovable by any means, but it's just, you have to be, you have to know what you're signing up for. These kids are going to need therapy. They're going to need patience, And if you can't offer that, it's not the right choice for you. So,
0: you know, and I'm
2: all for it. Um, But my husband, not so much. He's a little bit more reserved on that. So, um when we kind of talked about it, he said, I think if we do adoption, I'd want to do the infant adoptions. And we talked to a couple different agencies and we found an agency we liked that we were going to keep in the back of our mind for if we just, if that's where we got. And she was just seems so concerned about the birth moms and all this stuff only for me to find out later that her partial owner and the guy she shared an office with was just arrested for 31 felonies for human trafficking. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um,
0: what about having? Basically, what about what having a surrogate? There
2: was he was? Um, I'm sorry.
0: What about having a surrogate?
2: So to get a surrogate, you have to pay for the IVF to extract your eggs and do all of that, but then you also have to pay the surrogate like sixty thousand dollars to have your baby. So a round of IUI can cost anywhere from six hundred to two thousand dollars. A round of IVF twenty to thirty thousand um, dollars. A surrogate costs sixty thousand on top of the cost of yeah, adoption of an infant is forty thousand dollars. So moral of the story is if you can't have kids naturally, you better be rich.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, knew, I knew it wasn't, knew it wasn't cheap. cheap to adopt. Yeah, I knew I knew that.
2: I didn't know that. Um and I I was surprised a lot of my friends too. They're like, wait, what do you mean? It's not just it's not free. <laughs> <laughs> it is free if you it, it can be free if you adopt through the foster system. But again, these kids also people are like, I want a baby. Well, you're not gonna get a baby through the foster system. Right. nine-year-old. Right. Everyone's like, well, what about like a two-year-old? Well, those aren't really a thing. They can be, but they're not very... Close. The average age of a kid in the foster system is nine years old. And then if, if you... So like if a mom goes to a hospital and she's high on drugs and delivers her baby, the baby gets put into the foster system. That parent has the right to try to get their baby back because that's the goal of foster care, right? To reunite families and to get them back together. It's not to split them up. So you could foster to adopt where you just foster kids, but only 25% of kids that go into the foster system end up adoptable, which isn't really good or bad, I guess, because, you know, you don't want to tear kids from their families, but you have to be willing, you have to prepare yourself mentally for this, that the kid could come into your home and then you're going to have to give that kid back to their family. And that attachment is going to be severed almost immediately. So you have to be okay with that. Now, if the child becomes adoptable, the foster parents get the first option to adopt. So it's just kind of you have to ask yourself, like, which pro- which system is good for me? Do I want to just adopt the infant? Do I want to just foster and take the chance that I may have to have four or five infants come through my my home before I find one I can adopt or do I just want to go ahead and adopt an older child there are um a lot of companies have adoption reimbursements a lot of I not all of them but some a lot of companies companies don't but some companies do have fertility coverage uh, there is a state a, like a federal reimbursement for adoption costs but it's only I think about fifteen thousand dollars so you're still gonna have to cover the rest of those costs so, yeah, it gets really expensive really, really fast, especially if you don't have any assistance from your employer. And most people don't just have, like, you know, $100,000 <clears> lying around to just do whatever they feel. It's true. I think I'm going to try IVF, and if that doesn't work, and I just threw $60,000 at IVF, it's cool. I still have an extra forty to go throw at a adoption, you know? That's not the case. And so some people, like, I know people who've gone into debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars just to try to have a baby. It's insane. It really
0: is. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, it's a hell of a discussion. We covered a lot of topics today. Um, uh, but Jessica, I think, um, obviously for sure, obviously if you do get pregnant, we want to know about it. Um, if it happens yeah, for you, we yeah. obviously want to definitely keep us updated. And, um, but, I appreciate you coming on for a second time. I think you're you're our first uh, two-time caller, I believe. And uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing this and, you know, keep our fingers crossed for you as well.
1: Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: Yeah.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Thanks, Jessica. So thanks to Jessica uh for coming on and sharing that with us um you know I'm sure I'm sure plenty of people listening have had trouble conceiving I'm sure um and you know it's it's a taboo topic not everybody can openly talk about stuff like this uh, I'm glad that we can and Ashley, I'm glad you shared uh the stuff that you did um in regards to what you went through and your future plans of what, you know, where you're at with with everything and what, you, what your options are and what you're more interested in because I don't know if anybody knew that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it is important that we all talk more about it because I think the reason why it is such a taboo topic is because people have just been, like, suffering in silence for so long and we've been told that, like, you shouldn't be talking about this stuff, that you should only be talking about like happy, easy pregnancy stuff. And I mean, just the fact of the matter is it's not that easy and it's not that happy and more people need to be honest about it so that when people are going to try, they don't think it's that easy anymore. And they know that like there are things that can go wrong and you don't put all the blame on yourself.
0: And that's the thing. Of people just don't think, like, if you have a miscarriage, people don't think you should announce that you had one. Is that the like, is that what they're trying to not talk about?
1: I think a lot of times people just don't want to hear about sad or bad things. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, it's the reason why a lot of people keep depression to themselves for the same reason. Is that we're we're kind of made to think that in society you can only be optimistic and happy and all these things, that there's like no place for these sad or tragic moments. And I don't know. I, I just think that's really sad that people have been suffering with that type of situation for so long. Yeah. But I also think too, like part of me even thinks that like we need to make it okay. Whereas if we can't become mothers naturally, we need to figure out like a better way to frame ourselves because like, that's not the only things we can do in life. You don't have to be a biological mother or a mother at all to be happy. And I don't know, you know, I I think I'm really early in this journey. So I, I think I'm, I have like a different mindset right now. And while it does make me extremely sad, I also hope that like this isn't going to ruin my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that
0: sound weird? No. Um well you know, like like Jessica was saying, like her biggest thing in life was she wanted to be a mother and she's like she feels that she's failing as a person because she can't do that right now. Which is and that makes me
1: sad. Yeah,
0: it's a hard, it's a hard thing to hear, and it's a hard, and it's almost like, God, don't be so hard on yourself. Just because it's, it's not like you're purposely trying not to have a child. Like you're trying. Just sometimes things don't work right. It's not easy. Like we've said, it's just you know. But I, I, but I understand. You know, you tell her like, hey, don't be so hard on yourself. But I understand why. You know, it is sad and she feels maybe she's let people down even though she shouldn't i get why she says she does yeah and you just don't want anybody to go through that i mean that's just it's awful um anyway uh, i'm glad we talked about it uh this was uh the first episode we've done in a while so thank you we're we should be back on track um obviously with the holidays coming up um probably only have what's today, you know, mid early November. Uh, maybe two episodes the rest of the calendar year and then hopefully once we start back up in January and the bachelor's back on and whatever, um it'll be you know, every two weeks like we like we were usually doing it. So um I so- feel like
1: we get our craziest calls near the holidays. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I want to hear some crazy I want to hear some crazy Thanksgiving family stories. I want to hear that. I want to hear <laughs> food being thrown at the table some you know the uncle making racist bombs and you know throwing out like all this stuff i want to hear some crazy thanksgiving stories that'd be fun like what's your what what was your thanksgiving like only if it but only if it was bad like we don't want you to call and say my family was wonderful everything was great we had great food and like no i want to i want to hear like sides of families started going at it and taking sides and i'd like to know if any of that if any of that happens you know obviously because in the political climate that we're in we know that this stuff gets brought up at family functions so i figure thanksgiving is the time where it's going to happen if it's going to happen it's going to happen at thanksgiving dinner um <laughs> so um anyway thank you ashley uh again for for talking about this um and again thank you to jessica uh, for coming on that was uh episode 23 we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks uh, with another episode for you so uh, ashley thanks again
1: of course always happy to be on here with you steve
0: and thank you all for listening and we will talk to you soon see ya he's telling me no he's dragging me down he's leading me on and stringing on.